invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. And as we receive this word together, Exodus chapter 17. And I'm going to begin here with verse 8. Would you hear the word of the Lord? The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight against the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held, up, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. May God add his blessing to that word this morning. Please be seated. Well, this morning, and this is kind of exciting, we are going to do something that we've never done before. This message that you're hearing right now, live and in person, is going to be broadcast to our friends over at the Elyria campus. So, in other words, as our church is now one church in two locations, we are very much together this morning. So, if you're in this room, I want you to help me give a hearty, joyous, kind of raucous kind of welcome to those who are in Elyria on the count of three. So the cameras are going to be panning, so you guys have to look good, you know, maybe primp your hair a little bit before we do this. But I want you to say something like, you know, glad you're here or welcome or just give them a shout out and a cheer, okay? On one, two, three. Yeah, it's exciting. We'll see how they do. Not bad. Very good. Thank you. We're excited and so pleased with the partnership that we're gathering and the folks that have joined us from there. And we've got a lot to do, a lot to yet to do as we look toward a hard launch in September, but are grateful for those who are serving there and, and a part of our fellowship. And we want to know, well, we want them to know that they are a part of our family. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about something that's kind of been on my heart and I've been thinking about for a while now and doing some reading on this very topic. But as a society, I don't think I have to tell you that, that as a society, we don't know our Bibles like previous generations. Gallup conducted a poll where they found a whole bunch of people thought that the epistles were the wives of the apostles. Some people thought that Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount was delivered on horseback, and that uh, did not happen. Some people said that Moah, Noah was married to Joan of Arc, and again, that is not in the Bible. The reality is, if you ask the average person, what, are the, what was the forbidden fruit that Adam and Eve ate in the garden, their response would be, an apple. That's kind of the picture and image we have. But you do realize that the Bible never tells us that. It was a fruit. We know that much. Ask people how many wise men there were. The top answer would always be three, because that's what the song says. And you know, now of course we do have we do have in Scripture three gifts that they brought, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, but we're never told that there were just three wise men. We don't know how many. There may have been two, three, four, more. Who knows? 
But how many of us have heard the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness? Okay, that's not in the Bible either, of course. It most likely came from a rather famous pastor named, a preacher named John Wesley, who was a fuddy-duddy when it came to cleanliness and, and uh, his, his hygiene. So this morning, I want to do a short series of messages on various thoughts and sayings that often get attributed to God, but quite frankly, it's not in the Bible. Well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, except maybe he didn't say it, and so maybe we need to clarify some things. So what I'd like to do as we kind of enter into the summer season and, and have a little fun with this too, is maybe use this time to realize without even knowing it, we can build barriers of what God truly wants us to know about himself. Without knowing it, we can create stumbling blocks in our ability to trust him. A lot of people think that the Bible says that God will never give you more than you can handle. So they think that being a Christian means that your life is always going to be manageable at the least. But you realize that the Bible never says that. And in fact, I could probably hear some testimonies this morning about how at times there was more that you were facing than what you could reasonably handle. A lot of people think the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. So they think the Bible means that, that it's anti-money or if you have financial gifts or you have the ability to generate wealth that you could not possibly be a spiritually deep person. But that's not what the Bible says again about money. So in this series, let's seek to know God and really kind of understand what it is that God says. And hopefully along the way, our faith is going to grow and our appreciation and love for him will grow too. So let's begin this morning with this statement. God helps those who help themselves. You've heard that many, many times. Now, you can trace this idea back to even before Aesop's fables. In this fable, a man is driving a wagon, it gets stuck in the mud, and he gets out and he kneels down and he begins to pray to the gods to unstuck his wagon. Well, Hercules appears to him and tells him, get off his knees and put his shoulder to the wheel. And the moral of that story becomes the foundation of this saying. The French author, Jean de La Fontaine, in his fable, said it in French this way, help yourself and heaven will help you too. It was the Englishman and political theorist, Algernon Sidney in the 17th century, who is credited with the actual saying, God helps those who help themselves. Of course, it was Ben Franklin, you know him, it was popular, he popularized the saying in the Poor Richard's Almanac. So the saying obviously goes way back, but I want you to know it's not in the Bible. Now, I, I, I think it is true that God does call us not to be passive. God has given to each of us a mind and a will and a body, and he wants us to take initiative and take responsibility. All those things are good. All those things are true. Faith does, in God does not mean I get a, a pass, a free pass from having to study for a test coming up or having to exercise to keep healthy or showing up for work on time and with a good attitude. None of those things would happen. 
But God will generally, let's say this, not do for you what you can do for yourself. The Bible does say if you don't work, you're not going to eat. God will generally not do for you what he enables you to do. But, and this is where it gets interesting to me. Listen, our biggest problems in life are precisely those areas where we cannot help ourselves. But here's the thing about you, and here's the thing about me. We have all this strange resistance, don't we, to ask for help. Because asking for help offends my pride. Asking for help makes me feel small or incompetent. A great danger, and we've all been there, is if we don't get help, however, what started out as a problem turns into a crisis. What started out as going over budget becomes overwhelming debt, shame, bankruptcy. What started out as a pattern of unresolved conflict ends up in divorce. What started out as a bad habit becomes a serious addiction. A problem with flirtation. Flirtation becomes an affair. A problem with procrastination becomes unemployment. A problem with sarcasm becomes in this life the inability to make friends at all. So here's the truth about me. And by the way, we talked about this during the Lenten season, but it's true about you too. I need help. I need help. But let me give you permission, therefore, this morning, as you're walking out of church today, say something to somebody. You need help. Listen to me. This is the biblical story. I need help. You need help. We need help. Now let me take you back to Exodus. And the Israelites have been oppressed as slaves in Egypt. You know this story. But in Exodus chapter 2, we hear these words. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, I want you to notice here, God did not say to the Israelites, hey, get off your, your, your rears and, and let's get organized. Get some initiative. Put your shoulder to the wheel and do it. I'll help people who help themselves. No. God just helps. And this is what I want you to see this morning. Who does God help? God helps people who ask for help. God helps people who are needy. God helps people who are weak. God helps people who are desperate and scared. God helps people who are way over their heads. God helps people who can't help themselves. Now to be clear, God helps other people too. God loves to help people so much that sometimes he just shows up and gives help for no reason at all, just because he's good. 
You'll remember that Jesus said one of the signature characteristics of his father was that he makes the sun to shine on both the, the good people and the bad people. He causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. And yet, I look at the scriptures and one of my favorite ideas about God is he is a helper. Psalm 121 I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 54, 4. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.13 For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Is anyone in trouble this morning? We used to sing the, the song, O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. But what I want you to see this morning, and mostly this, is God helps the person who asks for it. God helps the person, the kind of person who is willing to, to pray and who is actually devoted to prayer, actually devoted to seeking him. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood in the New Testament? She, she just knew that if she could just touch the garment of Jesus, that something would happen. And she touched Jesus' garment for some help. Now, if you remember that story, Jesus didn't say, hey, you're bothering me. He, he never rolls his eyes and says, leave me alone. God helps those who pray because those who pray are asking for help and looking for help and hoping for help. They realize they need help. And some of us in our pride we refuse to acknowledge that. So what I want you to understand this morning is what we're really called to in the Bible on this issue is rather than self-help, God helps those who help themselves, the Bible calls us to a life of dependence, a life of prayer, a heart of prayer, an attitude of prayer. God, I need your help. Now when I talk about prayer, I don't know where you line up on prayer this morning. Maybe, let's face it, some of you are disappointed with prayer. You prayed. It didn't work out like you thought. It didn't appear that God did anything. Nothing happened. Or, or, or maybe you just feel guilty about prayer. You know you should do it, but you don't do it. And so you feel a little bit of guilt, a little bit of shame, and so you avoid it even more. 
Maybe you are confused about prayer because, listen, you hear about these other people who pray and they talk about their intimacy with God and they talk about how prayer has changed things in their lives and they have these remarkable testimonies. But when you pray, you get bored. When you pray, you you, you soon are thinking about grocery shopping or how Ohio State's going to beat Michigan this year or whatever. Your mind begins to wander. And maybe this morning, let's, let's be honest, it's a good place to be honest, you don't believe in prayer. The idea of praying to this supernatural, invisible being just doesn't make sense to you. And you don't think prayer really changes anything. I mean, if there is a God, he's going to do what he, what he does. Or maybe a few of you have really understood what prayer means and you've entered into that intimacy and it's a joy to you it's a peace to you and in that time of trouble you know there's a safe place to go and you find solace and comfort and strength in the presence of God wherever you are this morning I want us together to look at a time when I think God gives a picture about the power of prayer Now, as we've said, God has delivered the people of Israel from their bondage and slavery in Egypt after they first cried out to God for help. Now we see them, they're in the desert. They are on their way to the promised land. But you know, rarely is our journey in life an easy one. And suddenly, out of the blue, the people of Israel are attacked by the Amalekites. In fact, their whole existence... They're calling not just as a nation, but as a people who would bless the world is at risk. It's threatened. And so Moses calls his number two man, Joshua, in for a strategy session. We're told that Moses, if you know his story, was the one man in Israel who had grown up in Pharaoh's courts. He had been trained as a prince. That meant he went through the the military training and the military strategy. And so he would have been schooled in all things regarding war. So Joshua, I'm sure, expected that when he got together with Moses to talk about what they were going to do to fight the Amalekites, he figured that Moses would come up with some grand strategy, some grand plan. And this is what Moses says to Joshua. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands. Now, I kind of find that interesting. We're not told exactly what Joshua thought of this plan. But if I were Joshua and I went to a strategy session like that, I would have expected a little more strategy. I might have expected more of a battle plan than, well, choose some guys, I'll go up on the hill. But apparently, that's the plan. The morning dawns, the battle begins, and Moses is on top of the hill. Now, it's interesting to me, he goes there with his brother Aaron and another man named Hur. Hur. Was, the, the, was a leader of the people. He was the son of Caleb. That may uh, spark some interest in you. It is thought that the name her means liberty. 
But I, to be honest with you, I really just love the sound of that name because it sounds like a who's on first routine, you know, the old Abbott and Costello kind of thing. You know, kind of imagine, Aaron, go get her to come with us. You want her? I thought you wanted him. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I, I want him. Well, who is he? He is who I just told you. It, it's her. You know, that kind of a thing. But... Uh, I probably digress, but uh, you understand. <laughs> but at least Moses needs Aaron and her for an important reason. Moses goes up on the hill. He raises his arms toward heaven, towards God, with the staff of God. And it's really quite amazing if you think about it. The text doesn't tell us a single word that Moses prays. In fact, the text does not even have the word prayer in it, if you notice. Maybe Moses is like many of us. He's reluctant to pray in public. We do know, and you do remember that Moses said, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. But I love the fact that prayer is not coming up with the exact right words to, in some way, impress God. No, prayer is just simple. It's an attitude of the heart. It's always really not about what you're praying about. It's about who you're praying to that is so important and so for Moses in this prayer he expresses this need help and so he raises that staff he raises his arms and the most amazing thing happens help came power comes Power from God, power from, for this battle waged on earth. Kind of like an electric current that flows in him and through him and beyond him. And the men fight like men inspired. They can't be stopped. They can't be defeated. A bunch of ex-slaves winning the battle. It's, it's rather remarkable. But Moses grows tired. Have you ever tried to keep your arms up? especially if you're holding something. doesn't take long. It gets heavy. You can't keep it up. And so when they fall, when they come down, something happens to the spirit of the soldiers on the field. They begin to lose the battle. So Moses works to raise his hands up, and the tide turns again. Israel begins to win again, and it dawns on Moses, and it dawns on Aaron and her. Moses needs help. Those arms need to be raised up. And every time that heaven is reached, power begins to fall. And so they help him ask God for help, holding up his arms. Now I want you to see this. This isn't as much then about a battle of flesh and blood. What we begin to understand is that there is a spiritual battle going on. There is another kingdom at work here. There is an unseen reality in this battle. It is both physical and spiritual. And in this picture, God is giving his people a picture of a much deeper spiritual reality. And simply this. You and I are not meant to live on our own power. We are made to live in dependence on God. So this morning, I want to give you 
very quickly, two great spiritual truths. And these are simple, but if you could embed them in your mind and your heart, you walk out of here with a spring in your step and a little bit of, a little bit of strength for whatever battle you're going through. And I'd like to, to give you just two things, kind of as that image of both arms raised this morning. And the first great truth is this. Listen, my friends, God is able. Our God is able. How able is God? Well, the Bible says he is exceedingly able. He is able to speak the universe into being with a word. He says, let there be light and light becomes. He is able to bring uh, plagues and part seas and calm storms and feed the hungry. He shuts the mouths of lions and delivers young men from a fiery furnace. He makes a donkey to speak, the lame to walk, the leper cleansed and able to make a dead man rise again. Paul says it this way, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. He can do all of that and so much more, Paul says. And friends, his arms don't lose any strength. I love the passage in Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. But secondly, note this, God is able. But I also want you to know that God is willing. God is willing. Listen, God could be very strong, but if God did not have a caring heart, did not have a compassionate listening ear, I, I don't want to have to hold my hands up all day. But listen, the good news is, is that God is willing. He's not just able, he's willing to hear. He's willing to notice. He's willing to love. He's willing to act. How willing? Well, he numbers the hair on our head because he cares about us so much. The Bible says he collects our tears in a bottle. He suffers like a lovesick father waiting for the prodigal to come home. He loves us so much, he was willing to become one of us. You see, God, God knew that our greatest problem was we were slaves to sin and in bondage to death. God knew that there was no way for us to reach him, and so he came to earth. He knew that we could never make our way to him, and so he made a way to us. And of course, the story of Jesus tells us this that he raised his arms. He didn't raise a staff, he carried a cross. And no one helped him. He bore that cross alone, but his arms were raised in love. Not because he needed help but because he knew that you needed help. You see, God is able, God is willing, and God helps those who can't help themselves.
Maybe this morning you're like Moses. Maybe you need someone to come alongside of you and pray with you and pray for you and just lift those arms up with you. Maybe, let's be honest, you're dealing with a situation, you're in a battle right now, and you're getting pretty tired. And you know you need help. I know I need help. I need people lifting up my arms. I need it as a father, as a husband, certainly as a pastor. But maybe this morning, something is going on in your life. There is a battle. It's both physical and a spiritual one. And you need someone to come alongside. I just want to alert our staff, our elders, friends, overseers. I'm going to ask all of us in just a, a moment here to pray for one another. And maybe you need to pray and believe and maybe you need an Aaron or a her to come alongside and pray with you and you can tell them if you need to would you pray in regards to this or maybe you just say listen I don't want to get into it but but I, I really appreciate the idea that you come alongside and pray with me and would you stand and go before God and let us do it together, because as we do that together, it becomes this amazing picture, isn't it? This story shows us what I think is a real picture of the image, or actually the kingdom of God. That God hears, and God cares, and God is our help, and God is willing, and we have each other. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, in just a moment, I'm going to ask our congregation to just be honest and be transparent about ways that, Lord, we need help. And I just pray, Lord, there'd just be a sweet sensitivity among us. Some need help in prayer. Others are called to help others in prayer today. And we will fulfill, Lord, what we are called to do. Let there be no shame among God's people when we say we need help. In fact, Lord, that's, that's when you hear our prayers and you act and you move. But maybe this morning, Lord, we just need the, the help of a brother or sister in Christ who can come alongside of us and carry that burden and wait for you to act. Wait for you to reveal yourself in all your goodness and all your kindness and compassion. Part of that compassion is, Lord, is that you do not leave us alone. You have loved us so much. You, you came to this earth. You died on the cross. We won a victory there because Jesus' arms were raised. I pray, Lord, that we would experience that victory in other parts of our lives as we remember the cross as we remember your goodness to us lord have your way in these moments i pray this in your holy and precious name amen so this is what we're going to do as we close and nothing extraordinary about it it ought to be rather mundane for god's people to pray together but I'm going to invite you, if you need prayer, 
you need someone to come alongside of you and pray with you. You can do one of two things. I'll invite you to come up here to this altar and or you can stand where you are and ask people to come alongside of you. Maybe lay hands on you there. Either way would be fine. For our elders and overseers and maybe you're a friend or you're just aware of the situation, I'd invite you then to come alongside and pray with that individual. And maybe it's just one person. I know I'm going to be one of those people this morning that says, would you pray for me? So if you've got nothing else to pray for today, you can pray for me. But maybe there's some others who have some needs too. And I'll invite you to do that now. Jason's going to play here and, just, uh, and then we're going to sing. Take some moments. But just for a few moments here. If you need to come, please do so. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll sing and pray uh, just in a moment here. So feel free.